SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome in everybody to another edition of the Underdog Dynasty Sun Belt Podcast. For the first time all season, we are going through an entire slate of games. No more season previews. I am your host as always, Brian Stone. Uh, joined, as always, by noted Louisiana fan, Matt Miguez, who I'm sure is thrilled to be doing this episode. I am on cloud nine, Brian Stone. This is this is something I've never experienced. I actually, I take that back. The last time I experienced a feeling like this is when my Saints won the Super Bowl 10 years ago. Gotcha. So let's just kind of go over. I mean, the the Sun Belt just ran headlines in college football this week. Like we couldn't have had a better slate to start off the season with our with our recaps. And then we'll get into previews for for week three. But I mean, three wins over power five teams two of them not even close i mean you guys essentially and and we can start off with this i mean the game against between louisiana and iowa state was close for a half and then it felt like iowa state just kind of threw the towel in in the second half for me i watched the entire game because it was the most most compelling noon game that, that I saw on the slate. And I thought that you guys would definitely give them a good fight. But in the second half, you guys came out with your hair on fire and Iowa State looked like they didn't want to be on the same field. Right. You know, and, and I've always said this, especially when Billy Napier came to Lafayette, you know, the, the thing that we have prided ourselves on the last couple of years is being a team that makes excellent halftime adjustments. Um, you know, we've always used the first half to keep the game close, see where we are as a team, see how they're lining up against us and make the adjustments needed to be made and then come out in the second half and win the football game. And I mean, that's that's exactly what we did on Saturday. Um, you know, we kept the game close. We had a uh, we had a big kick return by Chris Smith in the second quarter to tie the game up. And then, you know, we made the adjustments necessary at halftime and we kept their offense scoreless in the uh, in the second half. We outscored them twenty-one to zero in the second half. So that was a uh, pro a monumental win for this program. Absolutely, especially you know over a ranked squad. Um, you know you you can't you almost can't put a dollar amount on the amount of exposure and just. I, I don't even know the word cachet. I guess that a win like that gives you oh. and. Oh. Especially when you take it into account that this game, when when you stack it up at the end, like it wasn't close, like it was a domination by the Cajuns. I mean, the two things that I took away from this game about halfway through, I would say, is number one, I thought you guys' kicker was going to lose it for you. Um, <laughs> because after all the jokes that you had in the previews about how bad ULM's kicking situation was, I uh, know. Nate, Nate I Snyder, know. I think, I think hit the crossbar twice. I want to say, oh, Maybe he, he didn't, hit it. He he didn't touch a crossbar. He didn't touch anything. <laughs> okay, so maybe I misremembered no, that. I one that, one, I one that was... went one went wide right, one went wide left. Gotcha. He didn't so, touch a thing. I single handedly thought that this game was going to be a field goal game, and that 
those two kicks were going to cost you the win just by the way that that it was heading the number two thing i took away from this is if anyone else watched this game in real time and i'm sure you did matt if you watched it in real time you would have never guessed in a million years that iowa state finished the game with more total yards than louisiana did because iowa state's game plan was baffling to me i did not understand what they were trying to do after halftime Right. And, and, you know, I, I don't want to be this guy who, you know, hounds on, hounds on a program, especially after a win. And uh, I don't want Louisiana fans to come back and bite me in the ass. But I'm going to say that our offense was not good. No, I mean, and, and that's kind of how this game went. It was a couple big special teams plays that really gave you guys a boost. And then one long oh, for pass sure. play. One long pass play from Levi Lewis to Peter LeBlanc, but the the thing that and 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 obviously we're just doing this podcast kind of just to praise like the Sun Belt teams that you know all got wins and especially the ones that beat Power Five schools this week. the The thing that got me was Iowa State. I tweeted this during the game. I didn't understand what they were trying to do in the second half because their entire playbook seemed to be inside zone runs out of shotgun or drag routes, uh, which for people who are unaware, drag routes are literally, you just run horizontal to the line of scrimmage, maybe like three yards ahead of it. And they kept trying to live and die by these, and you guys were just wrapping them up. And I mean, they weren't even coming close to first downs on third and 10, you you know? I'll I'll, I'll elaborate on that. I think think what the reasoning behind that was, was because I think the Big 12 mentality kind of got to them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think coming into this game, they're like, oh, you know, Louisiana's a Sunbelt team. You know, they've got a good coaching staff. They're a good team. But at the end of the day, we're going to run away with it. Mm-hmm. And I think well, that's that was the mistake. mistake. I think that's the mentality that they went into the dude. I'm telling you right now, our defense might be one of the best in the entire G5. It's it's definitely I mean, especially, it's possible. It's, like it's after this win. Especially from an athletic standpoint. I mean, we've got yeah. some freaky athletes on our defense. So anybody that thinks that they're just going to run away from our defense in the second half of football games, you've got another thing coming. Yeah. And to add on to kind of what I was saying, uh, not only did their play calling uh, Matt Campbell, the the head coach for Iowa state, I'm sure he's a good coach any other time because there's a reason they're ranked to make no adjustments in the second half and to try to play it so conservatively when their quarterback Brock Purdy was terrible in this game. Yeah, he was I mean, not good. He was terrible. 16 of 35 for 145 and an interception. He ran for 35 yards, but it didn't matter. I mean, all the big plays obviously came back to help Louisiana because I mean, three plays essentially won this game together oh, 100%. Uh, for you guys. 100%. But, that that's what I mean when I say it seemed like Iowa State didn't even want to be on the field for the second half. They just came out, played super hyper conservative, and they never tried to really. It never really seemed like they tried to push the ball down the field on you guys. Maybe they just, maybe you guys just beat them into submission, and they just they just had enough at, at a certain point. Yeah, I, I think that played a part in it. You know, especially in the in the late in the fourth quarter. You know, the last seven or eight minutes, we had UL had that big long drive where they just hammered the ball down the field, kind of did whatever they wanted to do. Uh, and you know, I, I think that was Iowa State kind of waving the white flag, saying that you know there's there's no coming back from this. 
Um, but no, you know, you, you talked about Brock Purdy stat line. One thing that's interesting is he averaged 4.1 yards per throw. Well, that's what I meant by the drag his, route thing. It, his, it, all of their completions were like right at the line of scrimmage, which I didn't understand. Right. His throwing average of 4.1 is the lowest that it has been since his college debut, his freshman year. <clears throat> Well, and that's what I didn't understand about the way that they called the second half, especially is, you know, when you think Big 12, you think big plays, throw the ball down the field, explosive, lots of points. They seem to want to do the opposite of that. And I don't know if it's like a personnel issue or or whatever, but they seem to be content. Like if they had won this game 14 to 10 over you guys, they seem like they would have been perfectly happy to do that. And I'm like, that may have it didn't work just to just to preface what I'm about to say. It clearly didn't to that may work at some point against a smaller team. But just for future reference, when you go play a Texas or an Oklahoma scoring 14 points and running the ball, you know, 36 times uh, for four and a half yards of carry. That's great. It's not going to cut it in the Big 12. Your defense isn't good enough. Nobody's nobody in the Big 12's defense is good enough to do that. Right. And but you know, I will I will give Iowa State credit. Defensively they have some animals. Jaquan Bailey and Josh Bailey, twin brothers on the D line, um, Orion Vance at lined up at linebacker, and then Greg Eisworth, he might be the best safety in the Big Twelve. Um, you know, he, he really did a great job of controlling our receivers until, you know, later on in the ball game. But yeah, I mean I, I agree with your point. The Big Twelve is not known to be a defensive conference. And that's like you said, that's just not something that you're going to get done in the big 12. So as we kind of wrap up our recap for this game, the last thing I wanted to touch on is the interception that I don't know how to pronounce his name because I've, I've read it three different ways. I'll, I'll help help you out with that one. We call him AJ. Okay. AJ Washington, that interception where he just out muscles, the the cyclone receiver was yes, one of the best plays that I saw on Saturday. And I don't know where it slotted in on ESPN's top 10, but it should have been about number three because the way that he stuck with that ball and ended up coming away with it was, was one of the, I mean, he clearly, and, and that was almost like a microcosm of this game is they just wanted it more than Iowa state did. Like one, Iowa one. state, Iowa State just just didn't seem to want to be there as much as Louisiana did, which is essentially what what this game came down to. One hundred percent. And, you know, AJ, he was a he was a junior last year for I mean, he was a sophomore last year for the Cajuns. And, you know, he had he had some valuable minutes last year. Uh, I want to say, let's see, I've got his stats from last year. He had three interceptions for us last year. Um, Mm -hmm. And so already off to a, a good start, getting a third of that already in one game but you know he like i said he was a guy that contributed very well for us last year and we had big expectations for him and uh he he definitely showed up in uh in our first contest and uh but you know what's aggravating talking about that that aj washington interception is that we got the ball inside the red zone right off the bat and got nothing out of it because the kicker shanked right it. And 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 I want to I want to say this. I love Nate. Nate's a Nate's a great kid. Nate's a good kicker. Um, I think the problem was is I don't know if you heard the the commentator talking about this during the game. He hadn't kicked a field goal since high school. Mm-hmm. His first two yeah. years. His first two years at Indiana, he only handled kickoffs. 
Well, the guy who came in and I and his name is kind of getting away from me. The, the kicker that there. Came, yeah, he when he came in, I noticed he almost kicks the ball like a soccer type kick where he Correct. almost puts his toe immediately on the ball. And I'm like, right. that's not really how you do it. But with the amount of struggling that they were doing in the kicking game, as long as you can get it through the upright. So that right. point, it, doesn't, it does, really matter. doesn't matter how it looks as long as it goes in. So with that win, Louisiana moves to one and O on the season. Iowa State drops to O and one. We'll see if Louisiana ends up getting any top twenty-five type of love. With you know, from what I've seen, uh, they are officially dropping the Big Twelve, uh, Big Ten, and Pac twelve teams, trying to get them out of the top twenty-five with their in respective seasons up in the air. So. We'll see. I mean, this might be the best shot, one of the best shots that uh, that Sunbelt has to get some, a couple of teams in the top 25 to, to start the season. Have, have you missed the top 25 poll, bud? I have not looked at it. It is Monday. <laughs> it came out yesterday, my man. I, I swear I have not looked at it. We are number 19 in the country. That's amazing. First That's time amazing. in school, first time in school history that we are ranked in the top. Well, I say that in school history, first time in the modern era. Last time we were ranked was 1943. Well, don't pull an App State and immediately blow it in your next game. Um, Speaking of so, App State, they're number 24. Yeah, sure. So, um, so, so getting into this next game, another big win for a Sun Belt team over a Power Five school, Arkansas State went into Manhattan, Kansas, and came away with the 35-31 win. Uh, The real story in this game, uh, Arkansas State receiver Jonathan Adams Jr., who looks like a man among boys, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, Yeah, kid's kid's good. Eight catches, 98 yards, three scores, including the game-winning touchdown, which I believe came with about a minute 30 to go in regulation. Uh, no, 38 seconds, sorry, to go in regulation. Uh, Arkansas State, you know, we, we've talked about this before. If their defense can get enough stops, their offense is not short of being able to score points at will. No, yeah, 100%. Their offense is definitely their uh, their bread and butter. And, you know, I'm looking at the, the stat line here. Logan Bonner played most of the game. Uh, I still don't agree with that, but, you know, 17 to 28, 204, two touchdowns and a pick isn't terrible. But, man, just just only only throw eight passes. Lane Hatcher went six for eight for 61 yards and two scores. Like what, Well, Lane like, Hatcher was the one there that threw the game-winning touchdown. So, as long, you know, even though the volume isn't there and they they seem intent on giving Bonner like the majority of snaps. I mean, when the game was on the line, Lane Hatcher was in the game on the game winning drive. Uh, so he was the one that hit, you know, Adams for the game winning score. So you can clearly see who who they really, you know, believe in to convert when the game is on the line. Right. And then that uh, that trick play that they pulled in the second quarter when they were down 21 to seven. I don't I don't know if you if you watched much of that game, but uh, they ran a receiver in in like a reverse route. Mm -hmm. And then I think it was Bonner that was in at quarterback. He just kind of threw a dump pass off of that reverse and the receiver lofted it up towards the end zone and had a wide open receiver streaking down the sidelines to make the catch. Uh, it made it a 21 to 14 game. They'd cut the lead in half 
because you know I think at halftime it was 21-14 Kansas State and mm-hmm. then uh Arkansas State kind of woke up in the second half and ran away with it but uh yeah man the trickery I'm a big fan of trickery if you can uh if you can get it to work I I was reading uh, a bunch of tweets on Saturday because I was kind of flipping it back and forth from the Kansas State Arkansas State game to you guys playing Iowa State, but uh, there were a bunch of tweets that were saying things like uh, this Kansas State corner that's got to cover Jonathan Adams might just quit football after this game, right? Um, and nobody would was, blame him. No, and he was absolutely Jonathan Adams was absolutely abusing the corner that got stuck on him. Um, but I mean, you know, Arkansas State, maybe this this two quarterback thing works. Uh, I, I was thinking about it nope. yesterday on Sunday. I almost will equate it to the way that uh, a major league team handles their pitchers. Like Logan Bonner comes out as their quote unquote starting pitcher in these types of situations, where, which means he gets the majority of the work. But they always bring Lane Hatcher in. It feels like late in games is like their closer. So maybe right. that maybe that's how they want to approach it going forward. I I have no idea what Blake Anderson's plan is. He seems to just kind of go with the wind on that one. So I don't. I'm know. I'm I'm still a believer in the philosophy of if you play two quarterbacks, you have none. And then yeah. you know I'll, I want to throw something out about Jonathan Adams Jr. You know a lot of people don't know this. Uh, he was actually he had a huge role in the program last year. Uh, obviously overshadowed by Omar Bayless and Kirk Merritt. But mm-hmm. uh, last year he hauled in 62 catches for 851 yards and five touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, I knew he was good. Uh, th- like you said, the Bayless's numbers are just eye-popping, like in comparison. So it was it was almost right. hard to kind of single him out when you've got a I guy who's double-digit touchdowns, 1,500 yards. <laughs> right, so. and then and then Merritt, you know, wasn't, wasn't much farther behind Omar mm-hmm. Bayless. No. So right. it, any final thoughts on this one? I mean, it, it, was, it was as impressive of a win, you know, to go into Manhattan, Kansas, uh, come away with a win, especially I think the, the thing that impressed me most about this is, you know, they had just taken that tough loss to Memphis – in week one and to come out and rebound with the loss to Memphis with a win over a big 12 school, I think is the most impressive part because, you know, they could have looked at the early season slate and been like, you know, guys, we're, we're just, we're just playing money games. Like we're just collecting checks from these big, bigger, you know, more prominent teams. But I mean, you know, as was the kind of the case on Saturday, you know, the, the Sun Belt showed up and they punched all the Big 12 teams in the mouth. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of funny talking about money games. I, I, I want to go back to the UL Iowa State game. You know, obviously playing a Big 12 school, we got a paycheck. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we walked into Ames, Iowa, took their money, punched them in the mouth and left. Yeah, for like, sure. How, it, it doesn't get better than that, man. No, it really doesn't. Uh, so moving along through the slate, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna level with everybody. This was the noon Sunbelt game that I watched the absolute least of, just because I didn't think it was even gonna be as close as it ended up being. It, it was way too close. <laughs> it was way you. If you're an App State fan, you have to be a little worried at how close this game was for for the majority of it. Obviously, they pulled away at the end. They scored two touchdowns, but at one point on the kickoff return. Uh, and, and what we're talking about, sorry, App State defeated Charlotte 35-20, uh, but both of those touchdowns came in the final 10 minutes of the game. Uh, Charlotte at one point, with no time left in the third quarter, returned a kickoff 97 yards to cut the App State lead to 21-20, so one point. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it, to be totally honest with you. I, I know that they've been trying to get this kind of rivalry series set up with Charlotte because... They're both North Carolina schools and, you know, Charlotte's really the only North Carolina school that's at that level that will schedule app on a regular basis. Um, but when you when you look at Charlotte's statistics, you would have never guessed in a million years that they were within one point of app at one stage in this game. Oh, uh, God, no, especially not going into the fourth quarter. No, I mean, app outgained the app almost doubled. If they if they didn't, I, I'm bad at math, to be totally honest. If they didn't double their yardage, they came close to it. App had 512 yards of total offense. Charlotte had 286. So they, I mean, they almost doubled them up on offense. Yeah. And they were still at one point in the third, at the end of the third quarter within one point of the Mountaineers, which I think is what took me by surprise the most. I mean, Zach Thomas was fine. 14 of 21, 204, a touchdown and a pick. They had two guys run for 100 yards, and, I mean, they beat a Charlotte team who's okay, usually, by by 15 points. So, I mean, good job. They took care of business. Yeah, but, I mean, God, like, like you said at the beginning of this, if you're an App State fan, you have to be a little worried. Yeah, Just you can't be, not be. Just because, I mean, and, and I don't want to discredit Charlotte here in any way, but that game should not have been as close as it was. Um, no. And so, yeah, like, like like we like we both said, if I'm an App State fan, I'm I'm very very concerned going into the season. Mm-hmm. Especially in a game where your pass defense holds Charlotte's quarterback to 140 yards passing and picks him off twice, and it comes down to the final 10 minutes of regulation for you to put that team away. Right. Um, you know, but you know, credit where credit is due. Their running game was absolutely not an issue as a team. They ran for 308 yards. Uh, app had both Marcus Williams jr. And Cameron peoples go over a hundred yards in this game. Um, and Thomas Hennigan, who I, I assume kind of, assumes the number one receiver role here in the, in this style of offense they want to run has 120 yards uh, receiving in a score. So, I mean, from an offensive perspective, it didn't seem like outside of Zach Thomas, maybe not being as efficient as you'd like. I mean, offensively, it didn't seem like they really missed a beat from last year. No, I mean, God, 500 yards of offenses. Yeah. You're definitely not missing a beat, but I think, I think one thing that's concerning if your if your app is that a your defense didn't do nearly the job that it was supposed to, mm-hmm. and then you know you you turned the ball over three times. Yeah, so I did mention uh, Thomas threw a pick. 
uh, and then they lost each of uh, Williams Jr. and Peoples, who, you know, like I said, went over 100 yards each, also gave up the ball. This was a the, the weather here was kind of strange. It was very sloppy and and it would go back and forth between misting and just like downpour. So, you know, maybe the, the conditions played into it a little bit. But I, I mean, I'm sorry, like in a game like this where you should kind of run away against this team. I mean, conditions to, can't have an effect on you. Yeah, and, and that's how, you know, it, you're going to play in another game this year more than likely where it rains. So Especially, especially in North Carolina. I don't know if they want to start, like, coating the ball in, like, grease <laughs> or something right. to practice this. But, but I don't know. They, they're they going to have to figure it out because I know you can't use the transitive property to say, you know, Louisiana beat this Big 12 school. Well, App State barely beat Charlotte. You can't. So Louisiana is better than App, right? Right. When when they play each other, it's a whole new ball game, and they will play each other. So I, I mean, and I can't wait. You can't use the transitive property, like I said, but you do have to be a little worried for the upcoming Sun Belt slate that Charlotte was able to hang around as much as they did with the lack of offense that they kind of gave too. So. Right. And then we can we can go ahead and skip over the next game. <laughs> well, we can talk about it just a little bit. It doesn't it doesn't require a ton of breakdown just from uh, the Sunbelt point of view. But uh, Army, uh, the Black Knights, able to come away with a 37 to 7 win over ULM. Uh, ULM's offense, uh, not good. Um. <laughs> yeah, that's putting it lightly. <laughs> not good. Defense, maybe even worse. Um, right. So to to Army's credit, uh, you know, it's almost that situation where it's almost like Army and Navy can't be good at the same time. Like they alternate years as to right. so Navy Navy got rocked by BYU last week, um, and then Army is two and zero and is currently the only two and zero team in the country. So. Uh, they their their team they put together a complete performance and the Warhawks just had no answer. They they look they look to really be missing Caleb Evans, uh, who left uh, with graduation last year. Right. Yeah. Um, they're struggling at the quarterback position for sure. Um, and they they've lost some receivers. And then you know, like you said, the defense man outside of Corey Strotter, who does not help you when you're playing an option offense. Uh, yeah. yeah, they're just not good. <laughs> so Army as a team uh, ran for 436 yards uh, oh, at 6.7 6. yards per carry. So they almost averaged seven yards per carry. Uh, they only had to throw the ball five times. Didn't really matter when you're when you're beating a team by 30 points. You can pretty much just do whatever it is you want to do. But uh you know, maybe we were on, maybe during our previews, we were a little bit too positive towards ULM because this game, yikes! If that's yeah. how if that's how your season's going to play out, yeah, for sure, uh, not not good, not good at all. Uh, but you know, as a as a Louisiana beat writer, makes me happy to see ULM struggle. So ULM with the loss falls to zero and one. Um, and Army, again, like I said, is the only 2-0 and team currently in the country. Uh, moving along through the Sunbelt slate, uh, we had a, a surprisingly entertaining game uh, between UTSA and Texas State. Uh, 
you know, a lot of offense in this one went to, I believe it was what, uh, two overtimes before UTSA eventually won this game. Uh, Texas State, I believe, had a chance to take the lead and ended up shanking a point after attempt late yep. in the fourth quarter. Uh, that's got to be so disheartening uh, when you're a Texas State team that just needs any every little bit of of help in order to win games and to have your kicker shank a PAT when you score a touchdown with one minute and 16 seconds left to go is it's tough to stomach. Uh, right. And you know, I've, I've never understood it. I, I don't want to bash kickers, but I mean, guys, you have one job. You, you it's do different in the game. I mean, I, I get it. I get it. I, I really, yeah. really do. But you have one job and at practice, you kick for what? Maybe an hour. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, I mean, you d- depending gotta, on you gotta be prepared. Yeah. So I mean, we talk about this. We use this as kind of the benchmark. Uh, you know, even a- as great as Alabama's been during Nick Saban's tenure, they can't even lock down a good yeah, kicker. So their kickers if, are terrible too. You almost use it as like a if they can't do it, then you shouldn't be shocked if uh, if anybody else can't do it as well. Um, but going down the, the game log for this one, uh, Tyler Vitt looked really good, uh, outside of the two interceptions he threw, but he, he threw for three forty six and four touchdowns, uh, not his fault that they didn't end up winning this game. You know, if their defense gets one stop, uh, through what was it the second quarter when they allowed uh, 17 unanswered, you have to think that if, if they even prevent a field goal there, that they probably come away with a win, uh, outside of you know the shanked pat yeah i mean like like you said giving up 17 unanswered in the second quarter is is something that you definitely don't want to do especially when it's a 7-7 ball game after the first quarter um so yeah that definitely i think put a wrinkle in uh in jake spavital's game plan but uh you know credit credit to Texas State making the adjustments that they needed to make at halftime i mean if you count if you count the overtimes i mean they scored 31 points 41 points in the second half um and so yeah just ridiculous numbers in the second half i think not having brady mcbride may have hurt them albeit mm-hmm. albeit tyler vitz stat line does look incredibly impressive mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, you know, oh and oh and two maybe, but I think this Texas State team is better than what their record proves. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think we talked about this when we did their season preview. We always kind of knew their their downfall was going to be how bad their defense was. Right. Um, you know, it was bad last year. Uh, you know, they allow fifty one to the Roadrunners. Uh, I believe UTSA is. And then, uh, you know, last week they probably would have had a shot to beat SMU had their defense kind of stood up and got them a stop at some point. Their offense so far so far has not been as much of a, a backbreaking issue as it was last year. Um, they're they're clearly already averaging more than what was it? 18 points per game that they averaged last year. I mean, their defense just has to show a pulse oh, and, for sure. and they, and they would have maybe one or two wins at this stage in the season. Yeah, uh, no, no, no question. Defense has to step up going forward. Um, you know, like like I like I made the joke when we did the preview. Uh, Jake's gonna have to sit down with younger brother Zach and be like, "Dude, you you, you got to do something." 
um, because otherwise, as good as Texas State's offense might be, it's going to be another long year in San Marcos. Yeah. Uh, so just wrapping up the the stats here, uh, Texas State had two receivers kind of show out. Uh, well, one was a receiver. One was running back Brock Sturgis, but uh, Marcel Barbie, uh, I believe is how his last name is pronounced. Four catches, 75 yards, two scores. Uh, Sturgis had 69 yards rushing. Nice. Uh, on the ground and a touchdown, and then also had a receiving touchdown on a 66-yard catch. So. Jeez. I mean, he he really stuffed the stat sheet. So did Tyler Vitt. Um, I I mean, I've got to ask, you know, through two games, who do you think should start seeing what we see? We saw out of uh, both Brady McBride and Tyler Vitt. Each of them played, you know, one game so far this season. Who do you think that they should kind of roll with moving forward to see if uh, who get which quarterback gives them the best chance to win? Yeah, I, I think Brady McBride's your guy. Um and, you know, I say that because I think he provides just a different level of athleticism that that Tyler Vitt, I'm not, I'm not saying he can't provide, but mm-hmm. just he just doesn't, you know. Um, yeah. I, I, think, I think if you're looking to be an explosive air raid type offense that Texas State seems to be looking to put together, I think, I think Brady McBride needs to be your starter going down the stretch. So, yeah, wrapping that up, uh, Texas State unfortunately falls to 0-2 this season. Um, moving down the card, uh, my Georgia Southern Eagles' uh, disgusting performance against Campbell. Uh, I, I really can't put into words how disappointing it was. Now, now let me preface, uh, this was kind of a report that came out uh right early i would say right about noon on saturday uh they had 33 players out for various reasons uh some of it virus related some of it uh suspension some of it coach's decision eight starters sat out this game however to to go down 20 to 6 uh in the third quarter to start that that quarter after having a halftime break talking it over to to an FCS school is just it's it's sad really and it's kind of a microcosm of of where this team is kind of sitting at this point in the season. They I tweeted this on Saturday. They look like the team that beat App State last year. They look like the team after that that went two and three to close their season and and lost some huge games, uh, including the bowl game. But uh, just to honestly to to put it nicely, it was a really ugly performance. Yeah, it it wasn't very good. Um, outside of Shy Wirtz running the ball for 155 yards and a touchdown, um, yeah, I mean there's there's not much to say about this game. Obviously, 33, 33 guys out, eight of them being starters is a brutal brutal blow. But again, like like you, I'll I'll let you talk since you're the the Georgia Southern guy. But I didn't find it was a very pleasing performance for the coaching staff no and i i you know i once again have a big issue with with bob DeBest, the offensive coordinator for the eagles uh he is now zero for 27 in games that he's called the offense in scoring opening drive touchdowns so oh god again, again zero for 27 in 27 games he's not scored an opening drive touchdown with this team um 
you know, I I kind I liked his play calling early in the game. I thought they did a good job of getting uh, Shy Wirtz a couple easy short completions, which I think if they just roll with that, it would really help open up the running game for this offense. However, as the game went along, you could kind of start to smell the desperation to score some points. So after Campbell scored that touchdown to open the, the third quarter, they kept trying to bomb it out deep with shy words and he's not an accurate deep Pepper. ball passer right and, and we don't have the receivers to go up and get those deep balls so that's a losing combination already if they had just kind of thrown some short like i said some short slants you know you run some curl routes here and there some outs ins you know things like that i think that they, it would have given them a shot to to get back in this game a little earlier but they they kept trying to throw it deep, and that's just not what this team does. So maybe he'll figure. Maybe Bob DeBess will figure it out. Maybe he'll be looking for a job next year. I don't know. Like it, it seems like it. When, once something works, he goes away from it immediately. So that's been the most frustrating thing is with him being the offensive coordinator. Yeah, I mean that that doesn't really make much sense to me. Obviously, I'm an outsider for for the Georgia Southern program, but you know, like like you said, you know, go, going away from what works doesn't seem to make a to make a whole lot of sense. But you know, like they say, a win is a win is a win. So Shy Wirtz in this one ran for 155 yards and a score. Uh, he and JD King together were really the reason we won this game. Uh, Wesley Kennedy III, who is really our uh, Swiss Army knife on offense, uh, was one of the 33 players that was forced to sit for this one. Um, you know, to, to kind of wrap it up, a lot of missed opportunities, really, for both teams. Uh, Georgia Southern, at one point, uh, I believe they were down, I want to say 13-6 to six in the second quarter, uh, Shy Wirtz hit a guy in the end zone between the numbers with a t- what would have been a touchdown pass. He drops it. They bring out the field goal unit for fourth down, and they miss. They fumbled the snap and ended up having to throw it into like the third row. So with that, we ended up with zero points. <laughs> Jesus. So, so just a the first half was a comedy of errors. If you like to watch football played to the tune of yakety sacks. The first half of this football game from a Georgia Southern perspective is for you. Um, but yeah, so they ended up winning this game barely. Uh, it literally came down to a two point conversion at the end that Campbell wasn't able to convert on. And Campbell almost all also recovered an onside kick with 15 seconds left in this game. Uh, that would have gave them, you know, a chance to go down and at least kick a field goal to, to have a chance to win. But uh, yeah, just an that, ugly performance that that wouldn't have been very good. No. And Campbell, uh, their head coach, I don't know if you remember, is uh, Mike Minter, the safety from the the Carolina Panthers. Yeah. Uh, He did a hell of a job coaching this team in this game. I mean, his it it was the the thing that killed them were some some bad penalties uh, at inopportune times. And uh, they just kind of went away from what was working for them. Uh, you know, they, they were really eaten up yardage uh, throwing the ball. And then they kind of just moved away from it and tried to run the ball a bunch. And that was just not a recipe for 
success in this one. So uh, Georgia Southern barely moves to 1-0 and in this game. Uh, Campbell falls to 0-1. They will play four games, I believe, this season as an FCS program, three of them against the Sun Belt. Um, so moving down the slate, we, we have our final two games to talk about. Uh, Tulane was able to edge out South Alabama by a score of 27-24. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, Matt. I cut on this game, and I thought South Alabama had this game well in hand at one point. Oh, absolutely. I mean, going into the fourth quarter, it was 24 to 13. Uh, you know, and like you said, South Alabama seemed to have a, a tight grip on the game. But, uh, you know, Tulane, or as I call them, too lame, uh, you know, found a, found a way in the fourth quarter to just get it done, man. So as someone who cut this game on about halfway through, um, I cut this game on, I think, late in the second quarter. I didn't really understand what they were doing, South Alabama, with their quarterback situation. Um, Apparently, Desmond Trotter, from what the announcer said, wasn't hurt. Uh, They just pulled him and put this Chance Lovertich guy in, and he was good. I mean, I was really surprised. You know, it it was also kind of a a little bit of – you know, they, they made a couple mistakes here and there, but I was impressed by the way this guy played. I had never heard of him. Uh, I thought I thought Desmond Trotter was really the, the future at quarterback here, but Lovertich showed that in a pinch, he could definitely play and, and help this offense contribute. Um, I, you know, the thing that killed them was, uh, like you said, at the end of the fourth quarter, it was 24 to 13. However, from the five-minute mark of the third quarter on, uh, Tulane scored 21 unanswered and South Alabama was not able to put up any points. So that is going to kill any team. And I, you know, from being a Georgia Southern fan, I think Tulane has a good head coach and Willie Fritz, and you cannot give a head coach with a team like that a chance to just hang around that long. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you talked about Willie Fritz. He just inked a a new seven-year contract with Tulane. Um, So, you know, the Green Wave have, have Fritz for a while and uh, you know he's he's done big things with that program, but like you said, you know, it's, I'll, I'll say this: if you're South Alabama and you're going into the fourth quarter with a two-score lead in your brand new football stadium, fans in attendance and everything, you you, you got to hang on and find a way to win the game. Yeah, it was uh, watching them slowly leak away the lead was was brutal. Uh, to watch especially because you know I'm sure the players weren't thinking about this I'm sure even the the coaches weren't thinking about this if they had won this game they would have matched their win total from last year already so with a chance to do that in game two of your season it's tough to to watch a game like this where you had an 11 point lead in the third quarter just slip away and watch Tulane pull away for the win but I mean, from an offensive perspective, you know, we're through two games of the season. South Alabama does not have problems really on the offensive side of the ball when you look at the numbers as a whole. Uh, yeah, no, not at all. Lovertich was able to hit, you know, receivers Kwan Baker and Jalen Tolbert, uh, who each almost had a t- 100 yards between them. Jalen Tolbert finished just short with 99. But Kwan Baker, seven catches, 129. Uh, Carlos Davis keeps turning in a strong i think it's he has 85 yards or something like that every week so he's consistent if not anything else yeah and i mean that's always that's always a good thing to have especially at the running back position 
Um, and, you know, like you said, Kawan Baker, seven catches, 129 yards and a score. That's a that's a magnificent performance, especially coming off the performance that he put up against Southern Miss the week before. Um, so, you know, although they, they let the game slip away and they went to one and one on the year, I think the South Alabama team is much improved from 2019. And uh, they will I think they'll cause some issues down down the stretch for the conference. I think just by virtue of being able to score points at the rate that they do and having the the receiving threats down the field, I think they're already head and shoulders better than where they were last year. Right. Um, I think they're at least going to sneak up on maybe two Sunbelt teams this year that won't be expecting them to score points and throw the ball like they do down the field. So um, just wrapping up this Sunbelt review of games, the final game of the night where Coastal Carolina uh, was able to not sneak up on because this happened last year too, but they were just pounding Kansas 38-23. They they obliterated Kansas. The the game wasn't even as close as the score would show right now Uh, because, I mean – you know, thirty-eight twenty-three. That's a, that's only a two-score game. You know, some coaches would say that that was a a valiant effort for Kansas, but God, no. Co- Coastal Carolina manhandled them from start to finish. At one point in the second quarter, with fifty-five seconds to go until halftime, Coastal Carolina sat up twenty-eight nothing on yeah. Kansas. Uh, you know, I've said this the last two years when they've won this game. I, I'm I'm absolutely not taking anything away from Coastal Carolina when I say this. That you do have to lend a little bit of context. Kansas is easily the worst FBS team I think there is. Um, it's between Ooh, them and like God. UMass. I think it's between them and like UMass. They're they're so, those two are easily the worst. So let, let's have a hypothetical conversation here, Brian. You know. Would you say that this is the end of Les Miles' coaching career? I think his coaching career is going to die at Kansas, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you, kind of the reason why I posed that question. Um, You know, I kind of thought at first that he would go to Kansas and maybe make the program better just because of, you know, his resume, Mm -hmm. but – you know they're still just not getting the recruits that that they need to be successful and you know they have a they have an amazing running back from right outside of new orleans puka williams jr Mm -hmm. the kid the kid's an elite level athlete but you know ever since les miles has gotten there they kind of forgot how to use him i mean god he was the big 12 freshman of the year freshman year so that's another guy and and i don't keep up with kansas football just because like i said i think they are one of the worst fbs teams there is that they're that's one of those teams where i've heard about puka williams but every time that i go check a stat line or something his stats are not great so it's one of those things where i think the hype at this point has kind of exceeded the output uh stats wise on the field um yeah so what you were saying about les miles i have a good comparison for him and there's a head coach that has a similar resume or had a similar resume that eventually got run out of college football. And it's Larry Coker, uh, who used to be the head coach at Miami in like the Oh one season when they were yeah. like maybe the best college football team ever assembled. And then he's head coaching career kind of unraveled and he went to UTEP and then he was like, never heard from again. So, so that's, that's my, that's my less miles comp, even though UTEP isn't as low, I guess as Kansas 
That's fair. that's my comp. That, that's fair enough. So uh, just looking at this game, I think you called this out before uh, the first game of this season. Grayson McCall. Grayson McCall looked like, you know, low volume, uh, but he was able uh, from a passing perspective. And maybe we'll see if if uh, his passing ends up kind of holding this team back when they get into some tougher competition. But, you know, dual threat with both his legs and and, you know, he had five touchdowns just by himself. So credit to them. I mean, they might have found their quarterback long term. Yeah, I mean, he was the offense. He had he had five touchdowns and they kicked a field goal. Yeah. Like, I mean, so, he, he, he was the offense. I mean, 11 of 18 for 133 yards and three touchdowns passing. And then he carried the ball 11 times for 73 yards and two scores on the ground, which, by the way, his first one, which was the very first touchdown of the game, he got rocked. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't, they, they call it the helicopter hit. Yeah, um, I saw I mean, that. that, that he, he, he was a he, he was a propeller. Basically, um, but yeah, yeah you look man, like John Elway in that Super Bowl, right? And yeah, I, mean, I I thought that Grayson McCall was was gonna be the guy going into just on paper he was gonna be the guy, and uh, you know, albeit a, a weak opponent, I think he proved himself night one. Absolutely. Uh, so wrapping up there, obviously another huge win over Kansas for Coastal Carolina. Let us let's us start looking towards week three in the Sun Belt. Uh, so to start off Friday night, uh, September 18th, Coastal Carolina is going to welcome Campbell uh, to Conway. Just looking at this game, I mean, from a team that just played Campbell, I think they're going to be a little deflated by how close they got to beating Georgia Southern. And I think that the final score in this one, just looking at it, I think it's going to be closer to the Coastal Carolina-Kansas game. I don't I don't think Campbell is going to be able to keep this one as close as they did against Georgia Southern last week. No, absolutely not. Coastal's going to run away with this one down the stretch with C.J. Marable and Grayson McCall. That's uh, just going to be way too much to handle for Campbell. So the one thing that Campbell showed last week, and, and I had kind of alluded to this when I did my write-up preview, they, they're they not great at stopping the run. So if Grayson McCall wants to just do kind of what he did last week uh, and then Marable chip in, I think that just on the legs of those two guys alone, they could run away with this one, like you said, easily. Um, so I, I don't think there's anything for Coastal to be uh, afraid of there. I think that they're going to end up beating Campbell by probably two touchdowns at the very least. Yeah. Um, so getting into the Saturday slate of games, you guys, uh, Louisiana, will travel to Atlanta uh, uh, to take on Georgia State. Can 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 you do me a favor and, and put that number in front of uh, front our, front of our team name? Number nineteen, Louisiana will travel. To, will travel to Atlanta to take on Georgia State in another game that I don't see being very close. Oh, uh, dude, I'm 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 nervous as hell, and I'm gonna tell you why. Um, okay. You know, fla- flashback to 1996 before before Saturday. That was the biggest win in program history. Texas A&M came to Lafayette, and uh, Jake DeLome and Brandon Stokely found a way to to win that game. And mm-hmm. you know, the next week, I think. The program carried the uh, carried that game in their head a little too long. Yep. Uh, we went to we went to Hattiesburg and played Southern Miss, and Southern Miss beat us fifty-two to twenty-seven. 
Well, um, that's one of those things that seems to happen with these group of five teams is anytime they get they get so caught up in the you know when when you're a team that plays in the power five like you're a you're a Texas or something being ranked stops being special I guess after is, a while is, right yeah you're you're like well if we're not number one then who really cares or you know even who number, cares even right top five like you're like who cares at this point but there's some real prestige associated with the group of five and being able to um be ranked and kind of represent your school as a ranked squad i i'm gonna be honest with you though unless georgia state has something up their sleeve i just think if you know if they had a perfectly healthy dan ellington like they did last year i would say maybe there was some concern for you guys i I could see this one, you know, being closer than the 17 point spread that it's currently sitting at right now. However, I just I don't think Georgia State is quality wise is going to be able to keep up with you guys for four full quarters. Right. I, th- I think we're bar none the better team. However, yeah. I, I just hope that the guys don't. I mean, don't get me wrong. Cele- celebrate the biggest win in program history. But at the same time, there's got to come there's got to come a moment where it's time to get back to work. And sure. uh, so I just I hope that the game doesn't get in their head and they just get out to Atlanta and take care of business and come home with another W. So what I know you're worried, but what percent chance do you think Georgia State has of potentially upsetting Louisiana? Fifteen. That's higher than I would have thought. Um, Fifteen. So, yeah. So let's go down the slate a little further. Uh, a one th- set for a one thirty kick. Number twenty three, Appalachian State is going to travel to Huntington, West Virginia, to take on Marshall. Um, it's tough to tell this early in the season what kind, what caliber of team Marshall is. Uh, Marshall's only game so far has been against an FCS team in Eastern Kentucky, and they won fifty nine to zero. I mean. I think that Marshall is going to get really test App State, to be honest with you, especially if App State comes with the same level of effort they gave against Charlotte last week. I wish we had an upset alarm. You are you punching the upset alarm? I am. I think Marshall <laughs> finds I think Marshall wins this game. I mean the, the line's three and a half. Um and you know the the it, it's a it's a three and a half favored to app. Um, mm-hmm. but just the, the way, <laughs> how explosive Marshall looked on offense. I mean, I, I get it was an FCS opponent, but just how, like I said, how explosive their offense was, I think yeah. it might be a little too much for App State to handle. I mean, this, this will be, if there has been any real drop off and last week wasn't just knocking off the rust a little bit, if there has been any quality drop off in App State's defense, I feel like Grant Wells, the Marshall quarterback, will find it. Absolutely. Um, you know, like we said, it was an FCS school in Eastern Kentucky, but for him to go 16 of 23 for 307 yards and four touchdowns, the efficiency on that is crazy. That's got to be like, what? 10 yards per attempt maybe like that that is that's nuts i mean it's crazy almost almost 20 yards yeah so i mean if if app state doesn't come correct and kind of turns in like the same marshall's not gonna let them get within striking distance and then just let kind of app go do their thing and pull away like App is going to have to fight for like four full quarters in this one, especially right. at at Huntington. You know, yep. 
we'll we'll see uh there there may be some couch burnings uh after this one we'll have to see how that goes um so moving down the slate a little further 330 uh kick florida atlantic willie taggart squad is going to come to statesboro georgia to Allen e paulson stadium and take on georgia southern uh it's too early to tell in the week if any of the 33 players who previously sat out are going to be back for this game uh however odds makers have it at florida atlantic uh five and a half point favorites in statesboro i'm gonna be honest with you if we have eight starters sit again there's no chance we win this game Uh, we're just not we're georgia southern's not talented enough to sit out that many players and still find a way to win especially against florida atlantic yeah, uh, to to be honest, man, I hate to I hate to rain on the parade. I think even if you get those thirty three guys back, I don't I don't think that Georgia Southern is going to find a way to beat Florida Atlantic. Uh, I mean, that's fair. I mean, the, their offense, like I said, outside of like one player, was relatively untouched from last week, and they struggled to put up twenty seven on Campbell. So, I if if Florida Atlantic was to come in and win, I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest. Yeah, I I think they're just they're too talented offensively, um, mm-hmm. and you know I, I don't I think you guys are going to need another game to find your rhythm, figure out where you are as a team, and uh, sadly I think that's just going to be against Florida Atlantic. Yeah, uh, I I I'm going to go on the record and say I think Florida Atlantic wins this game. Um, I just I, there's so much inconsistency in how Georgia Southern calls plays. Obviously, we don't know what Florida Atlantic looks like under Willie Taggart and what the handoff is going to be like from Lane Kiffin uh, to Taggart, but I I just I, I'm not seeing it at this stage. Um, so I, I think Florida Atlantic does eventually come away with a win in that one. Um, so going further down, four o'clock kick Troy uh, in one of their two meetings against middle tennessee state university this year uh will play the first in murfreesboro they are three and a half point favorites i'm gonna be honest if you're a betting person you gotta jump on this troy three and a half point line because middle tennessee state just lost 42 nothing to army in week one i think that troy was gonna run them out of the stadium i thought that before the game with army and now now i think it even more yeah, so you know what we talked about uh, when we were previewing the season for Troy. If a team can score, they can hang with Troy. Absolutely. I don't think Middle Tennessee is that team. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't. I don't see a way that they stay score for score with Troy. Not at all. Troy, may, maybe in the first half, mm-hmm. but you know, down down the stretch, Troy's just going to be way too much for for Middle Tennessee to handle. Absolutely. Uh, I don't think there's too much to go over in that one. Like I said, it is a weird home and home situation in the same year, uh, which you don't see much of. But I think Troy is going to run away with that one, and Middle Tennessee is not going to put up much of a fight. Um, so, getting into our final two games of the night, uh, Central Arkansas is going to travel to Jonesboro to take on Arkansas State. Blowout. Uh, uh, yeah, I think this one this one doesn't even have a line at this point, and I think well, with the the shortened season, they're not going to have lines for these blowout games. No, no lines on FCS games. Also, gotcha. That makes a lot more sense, actually. No, um, no, no lines on FBS versus FCS. 
So I don't think there's going to be any way in the world that Central Arkansas finds someone who can cover Jonathan Adams. Zero. Um, so, you know, Arkansas State, if they want to continue with the Bonner, Hatcher, anybody with a pulse, throw the football I'll, for us. Experiment. I'll say this. I'll say this. This is the game that you got to find out who your starter is. I don't think they will. I think that Blake Anderson's going to keep it. If Blake Anderson couldn't figure it out last week when the game was on the line against a Big 12 school and even week one against Memphis when they absolutely desperately needed to win, I, I think he's just going to keep up with this two-quarterback thing all year. Well, then I'll say this. If, if Blake Anderson wants to start looking through the classifieds... Um, I don't think he, it's that bad, but... I mean, I, I, I do think it's dumb to to be like, let's split it down the middle 50-50 or even even like a 75-25 split because it's like, well, what if Logan Bonner gets into a groove and you just yank him for a guy that's completely cold off the bench? Right. You know, that's exactly what we did. Billy Napier's first year, you know, we had Andre Nunez at quarterback and then every fourth series, Levi would come in. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, there were there were games where it worked, but as a whole, it was just like, why? Yeah, I've never really understood it. I mean, if you have one, if you have a guy come out and he starts slow and you think like, let's give it let me give you an example. If Arkansas State came out in this game and they are going three and out on their first two drives and Central Arkansas scores and goes up seven, nothing. I would understand pulling like Bonner to put Hatcher in just to try to give the offense a spark. Right. Bonner was not bad last week, like no. from a stat, from a stats perspective. And, so, and, and Logan Bonner isn't a bad quarterback. I don't want anybody to no. think that I'm saying he's a bad quarterback in four games last year. He threw 10 touchdowns and a pick. I just, like, I don't I mean, understand the, 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 like I said, the, the baseball metaphor, like, what is it, what is the deal with having a reliever quarterback? Right. Stuff? It doesn't make it, any sense. No, it makes zero sense. Like, again, I, I've, I've said it way too many times on this podcast, but I'm going to say it one more. If you have two quarterbacks, you truly have none. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the final game of the night, this is literally the first Sunbelt on Sunbelt action uh, Texas State is going to travel to Monroe to take on ULM. I'm gonna say I'm gonna go ahead and say this: Texas State's gonna win this game. And again, this seems like easy money because from from the past and and talking about Vegas and how they handicap these uh, Sun Belt games, they don't put a lot of stock into them. I don't think because they don't expect a lot of people to bet on these. Texas State four point favorite seems like a lock. Uh, yeah. They've shown the ability to move the ball. ULM showed me next to nothing last week. So I, I think I'd jump all over that Texas State line. For sure. Texas State gets their first win, uh, whether it's Tyler Vitt or Brady McBride lining up at quarterback. I think they're going to be in good shape. Um, and, yeah, they, they come into Monroe and steal a W and head back to San Marcos, if, if you ask me. Yeah, I, I – I think it's the perfect combination of they're going to be able to score points and also their defense doesn't have to worry because I don't think UL Monroe will be able to score even if they wanted to. And right. Texas State, like we talked about, Texas State's defense is nothing fantastic. However, if if your offense is just not going to score, Texas State could put up some points. So, yeah, I mean, sure. at the very at the very least, the bottom of the the teams were at the bottom of the conference last year in South Alabama and Texas State and guys like and teams like that 
at least they're exciting to watch this year and they, they at least can score and make it interesting which is more than i could say for what those two teams gave last year right um but yeah i mean overall i think it's going to be a rough year for ul monroe um you know as we kind of wrap up what game are you looking forward to and you know what are your kind of final thoughts here as as we go over the sunbelt slate game i'm looking forward to the most on the sunbelt's got to be app state and marshall um Mm -hmm. just because of you know I, i think that might be one of the closest lines i've seen in an app game in a long time uh mm-hmm. three, three, three and a half is no number to to joke with uh i think marshall's a team that can definitely give app state everything they can handle and then the fact that app state has to travel to huntington i think slightly pushes the the mark in in marshall's favor for sure i think that that is easily like the most compelling game of this weekend um i i don't App typically, you know, like last year, they were able to defeat both North and South Carolina, uh, which was, you know, a, a monumental achievement for them. Um, but typically, it feels like they don't typically can't, uh, schedule equally with other uh, conferences that are on the same footing. So it's going to be interesting to see them play a conference USA team like Marshall, who who's kind of known to be able to score a lot of points. So. Uh, I do predict a lot of offense in this one. I think it's just going to come down to whose defense between Marshall and App ends up with the final stop of this game. So that's going to yeah. be interesting. De- definitely going to be that type of game, trading points and see who has the ball at the end. Absolutely. So as we wrap up here, Matt, tell the folks where they can find you on social media. You can find me at Migas Matt, and then if you're interested, you can also tune in to my UL fan podcast at Rage and Review. And as always, you can find me on Twitter at WatchTheStone. We will be back next week to recap week three in the Sun Belt and talk about week four. Take care, everybody.